Lingua Britannica is a podcast that uses ethnographic interviews to study language use in the extreme metal community. We are studying a music scene known for its love of themes and topics generally considered offensive, and it is likely that some episodes will touch on topics or opinions some listeners may find tasteless or ethically problematic. Ethnographic researchers aim to adopt the interviewee's point of view so that we can draw out and study the attitudes, beliefs, and practices that are important to them. We want to make it clear that in presenting these conversations here, we do not endorse any of their content. Our aim is to explore the thought processes behind language use in this long-running, international and yet understudied scene. Lingua Britannica with me, Jess Crook, and my co-host, Wes Robertson. Hello. Uh, today we're talking to Sam Dillon of Lowe, that's L-O exclamation point. Uh, thanks for talking with us, Sam. Yeah, my pleasure. I can't wait to waffle on. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, um, you can begin your waffling by describing Lowe's music. Uh, you know, what genre are we talking about? What kind of music do you play? Give us the rundown. Uh, I would say that the best way to describe low would be progressive sludge, aggressive sludge. Um, we've got elements of hardcore in our work, but um, definitely groove focused sludge metal um, with a lot of anthem style writing in it. Yeah. On Encyclopedia Metallum, you're listed as sludge slash post metal and hardcore. Uh, how do you feel about those kind of labels? I don't really like the idea of being called a post metal band. Just, that's just me being subjective and aesthetic about it because I usually feel that's giving away sort of a lavender scented toilet paper feel to music. Um, <laughs> okay. I prefer it to have a bit more edge to it. Uh, but you got to know what you're, where you're from and where you're going. So I'm all about making it big choruses, anthemy qualities, which is often overlooked in my genre of sludge. So sometimes it can just be one riff that rolls along forever until someone falls asleep in the corner. <laughs> And I'd rather it to have some punch and to be able to get people thinking. Mm. Um, well, is this the kind of metal that you would you know, be drawn to yourself? Is that the kind of metal that you know, got you into the genre to begin with? Yeah, for sure. Like uh, sonically, the atmospheres that are created with that, but there is like a, a turning point where I, I start to nod off if it's going too long. Um, <laughs> I, and like everyone's able to express how they want to do it. Uh, but I much prefer things that have a bite to it and have a very genuine um, uh, nature to what they're trying to do. And if it's got a bit of theatrics to it, then that that's always going to help as well. But was Sludge the first metal genre that you got into? Like, did you take a journey in here or how did you get to where, like, into the kind of music that you're playing today? Uh, definitely a progression. So, like, I evolved from, I wasn't really into music, to be honest, growing up. I, I, I had music in the house from my parents' record collections, but it wasn't up until maybe I was about eight or nine uh, that I heard uh, Sound Garden's Black Hole Sun and I saw the film clip early one morning on Rage before I went to attend like Little Athletics or something and stare in, into a daisy field. But I just remember the, the images that I saw in that clip and the sound of the music and I was, I was hooked and I thought that is something that I'd love to be able to express myself one day. Hmm. So it was a kind of grunge into metal kind of pipeline? 
grunge into industrial rock, so your Nine Inch Nails, your Ministry, your Skinny Puppy, Marilyn Manson, and then slowly it was into more heavier stuff like your Pantera, your Obituary, uh, sort of your thrash and your your, de- your old school death metal. Um, but always in the background, there was things that I just I just obsessed with big choruses. So stuff like Peter Gabriel and Elton John are just as important to me as anything that's heavy. So what then drew you to those heavier styles then? Like, you know, what made you, you know, continue to explore heavier and heavier genres, not stop at, your, say, your Elton John's? Well, before, like I was saying, I, I came into music a bit late in my childhood, but the one constant I've had my whole life is my obsession with dinosaurs and natural history. So the fact that there was human beings that sounded unhuman was a big draw <laughs> mm. for me. I'm one of those nerd burgers that I just loved Jurassic Park so much that anything that that could make me escape this like human skin and, and be a bit more draconic or saurian in the way I did things, I was very, uh, very hooked on. Um, it was, I liked the idea of being able to create worlds in your, like that are in the lyrics, but also have a more rasp to it, have something that is a Disney cartoon villain um, quality to it. So anything that's uh, at the pulpit, you being a preacher and being able to like list off crazy megalomaniacal lines and have an impact with it, uh, it's always going to appeal to me. So you mentioned uh, the lines there, but earlier you were talking about kind of the, the sonic qualities and the visual qualities of some of the videos, uh, you know, the um, you mentioned kind of performance. Did you pay any attention to what was being screamed and the kind of, you know, dinosaur-y voice at the time? Or yes, what yeah. was the role of lyrics early on for you? Um, I, I definitely shied away from anything that was, yeah, a bit lazy or sloppy. I'm, I'm not really into that. I, I wanted, I was more drawn to things that had uh, their bases in literature or film. Uh, anything that was just your sort of grab bag of aggression, I, I, I kind of didn't, it didn't sit with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is it about the like grab bag of like uh, aggression that doesn't appeal? Like, is it like the lack of thought or um, just like the yeah. aggressive content or focus? I, I've, this, I'm going to sound like a snob here, but I feel I'm a bit elitist when it comes to art. Like I, I studied art at university and I'm quite into that, that era of like Francis Bacon and, and, the, and the turn of modern painting. And I quite like that things have to be done with skill and thought and research. And when it's just sounds like a conversation between two people after too many Bundy and Cokes, it's, it falls to the wayside for me. I much prefer something that's got a, its bounds in, in having to go a bit more cerebral or a bit more a snide in the way that it's going to be uh, sung. So I, I, bear, I very, very rarely swear in any in, in any works I've ever done. Um, and I try and have a bit of a, a liter- I'm obsessed with alliteration as well, just because mm-hmm. I grew up on things like Roald Dahl and Spike Milligan as well. So anything that rolls off the tongue that can be, uh, be a bit vicious and venomous in the way that it's delivered, I quite like that. So I guess like um, you've got a carcass shirt on right now, right? So there's definitely some aggression going in there. What what takes something into the realm from just being purely aggressive into kind of the more artistic? I think I think if it can be done in something that required the thought, required the imagination, mm-hmm. and paints a vivid picture, like 
there's plenty of metal vocalists out there that can deliver a fantastic performance, but when it comes to keeping me hooked and wanting to delve further beyond the page, then mm. that becomes it starts to narrow the field a bit. Hmm. Well, given that uh, you know aggression is such a kind of quintessential component of extreme metal music and particularly like lyrical content. Like, do you think that like it's possible then to define or distinguish like metal lyrics from non-metal lyrics if they don't contain some of those more recognisable kind of aggressive qualities? I think sonically is the thing that makes them metal. Like, it's just the actual sound of it and putting on a genuine performance. Like, there's plenty of metal bands that don't really sing about. Like, you could be a Christian metal band. You could be. What like I've noticed? So see, I'm not a stoner. I don't. I don't really enjoy marijuana. It, it kind of just puts me to sleep, and I don't talk, and I talk a lot. So that's like <laughs> the worst thing for me. Um, I noticed that a lot of musicians, the lyricists that are stoners, they never really seem to sing about themes that are happening or characters that are on this earth or able to be. Uh, you know tangible it just becomes this gobbledygook of things like rocks and and space and aliens and that's that's fine but it kind of loses me um i think with the aggression thing i always have gone to aggression because i trust it because i it's that purity of i understand that emotional uh situation that's going on for me in my brain but when it comes to other emotions I not until later in life did I have the maturity through therapy to be able to deal with them. And I feel that there's a lot of other people in the world that can do better jobs at singing about uh, subjects of love or loss better than, than me. And I, I leave that realm to them, but aggression, especially at an environment that becomes more and more claustrophobic and more and more uh, defeatist sort of culture that tap is never going to run out for being aggressive in music. And you can always change your voice for it, but that aggress aggression, I find a release in being able to express that and paint things. So when did you first start writing lyrics and kind of painting these kind of aggressive pictures, as you say? Was was low the beginning? No, not at all. I did some extremely cringeworthy things when I was a teenager. Uh, I had every bad haircut under the sun and I, I have the lyrics to go along with it. Um, it wasn't until life really kicked me in the ass from doing uh, quite a bit of travel and moving out of home, experiencing actual hardships and being around people that were doing the music out of genuine expression because they wanted to, because they wanted to create it for their ears rather mm -hmm. than understanding or, or trying to predict what an audience might want to hear. I, I, I definitely enjoyed performing and that's exactly what I wanted to do and I enjoyed the recording process. But what I was actually writing, it was sort of, it was Im impersonating the things that I really enjoyed at the time. I didn't ha have my own voice, but then again, I was only in my late teens. So that's to be expected. I don't think many people really uh, want to be if they get reincarnated a 17-year-old again. So, um, <laughs> oh, I'll skip yeah. it, yeah. Pass. <laughs> Just yeah, you pretty much just want to be reincarnated with less crow feet and more money <laughs> in the bank. That's the way it usually works. You want your brain now, but yeah, you can leave mm. the rest of it and hope for a better lower back. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <God. laughs> yeah. So I yeah, the lyrics I was always writing from my teenage years, uh, but 
I feel actual uh, character fleshing outs and looking at certain themes and returning to those themes that happened in my late 20s. Uh, with my band uh, Snakes Get Bad Press, which was kind of a an abrasive hardcore band. So things like Trap Them, Converge, uh, Lord Mantis, yeah, that sort of thing. Hmm. What would you say are the main things that kind of distinguish your current lyrical approach from that which, you know, you used when you first started out? Oh, um, I would say I'm making it for me rather than an imagined ear. That, that would be it. Also, I... I'm using certain very strong archaic themes that I have always am returning to and these the importance and significance of those things to me I hadn't really even explored back then. So these are things I feel that they will follow me along like on my shoulder for the rest of my lyrical writing days. So like like practically speaking um how does that change manifest like what what happens to your lyrics now that you're writing them for you rather than imagined audience like what things would you do to satisfy an imagined audience that you wouldn't do now well you can do the old head field and just do some fucking years fucking years time <laughs> you've run out of something to say um there's nothing this i think it's the second time that someone's mentioned like yeah yes, yeah in yeah. that context yeah yeah there's look there's there's things in the world that consistency is what you want when you order spaghetti bolognese. Mm. So you always want it. It wants to be a global thing. It's enjoyed by many. It doesn't rock your world. It doesn't disappoint. But then that's where you end up. You just end up at a digestible meal with nothing much else off to offer. And I'd rather create an experiment for things that stimulate me. And then through my genuineness, I would hope that that, that at least falls on the same ears for someone else. Well, it's good that you've mentioned this because it leads on to our you know, next question, which is you know, the, uh, about this kind of long-standing debate in metal um, over whether or not lyrics um, should be considered kind of pure fantasy or reflect the kind of social um, meaning or authorial intent of you know, their creators. Um, so broadly speaking, where do you feel like low fits on this spectrum, like more towards like the fantasy end or more towards the, you know, um, yeah, reflect directly reflecting um, you know your own personal views, identities, so on. I look. I like the idea of having style to burn on a record and having a lot of characters going on, a lot of different samples, some theatrics, and some cinematic uh, pauses that we're doing. Um, but when it comes to like Dungeons and Dragons and this sort of thing of what you you associate with your thrash metal, your hair metal, your your, your like the golden age of like uh, the early '90s kind of vibes, especially out of Europe, that's fine. Like that's great. But I find the monsters and dragons of my psyche and my universe are very flesh and blood. So these are your tyrants of a political nature. These are your own addictions. These are. Uh, the colonialist monsters that we are ourselves, the fact that uh, there's so much Eurocentric views of how things are done in this world and also our mass extinctions that we keep bringing on. That's far more scary to me than any like cloak and dagger stuff that any like wizard on top of a mountain. That, I, don't, <laughs> I don't need to uh, dream up at medieval torture because it's already happening right now. Mm. So, I mean, speaking of these, these ideas of, of, you know, 
monsters and beasts and, and extinctions. Uh, moving to the lyrics that you've written yourself, one of the most common themes I'd say throughout is that of animals. Indeed, um, oddly enough, this is a theme that existed in Lowe's history even before you joined the band. Uh, the first two bands reference birds, parasites, serpents, horses, sharks, tarantulas, vultures, werves, uh, sorry, wolves, a bleeding fawn, snakes, locusts, and leeches. And then the first album you were on, the 2015 EP, has apes, orcas, chimps, dogs, vipers, fleas, and livestock. Uh, 2017's Vestigial talks about mongrels, goats, apes, snakes, hens, monkeys, locusts, apes, uh, oh, apes twice, sorry, uh, worms, horses, butcher birds, and snakes. And the newest album has the words uh, worms again, vipers, rats, apes, and deer. Uh, why do these images and metaphors of animals keep appearing through your albums? And is this a follow through of the work before you? Like, did you consciously try to pull this theme through or did it just kind of happen naturally? It, uh, look, it's it's funny you're saying all that stuff because I'm literally sitting above uh, four terrariums full of snakes at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I definitely take my work home with me. Mm. Um, I've always been obsessed with natural history. I like the purity of it. I love taxonomy. I love evolution. I, I have a Charles Darwin tattoo on my forearm. Uh, I've always been obsessed with how nature has adapted and it's far more surreal than anything you could think up. Uh, when it comes to those sort of icons of like monkeys, apes, uh, goats, beasts of burden, your snakes, your Garden of Eden uh, sort of imagery, that's definitely something that is going to feature in the way that I write lyrics. That's part of my world. That's in my toolbox of what I, I know a lot about and that I will bring up. Uh, when it came to replacing the original vocalist um, after the Monstrum Historia album, um, yeah, there was a head nod to at least include some sort of theme so it wasn't just completely different to what was going on. Uh, the Tongueless was me pushing forward a more sort of live abrasiveness that could be replicated once we went on tour. Uh I've found that the previous albums, although they are wonderful and lavish, they do contain phrasing problems that can happen live because there's just simply too many words going on in certain points. Mm -hmm. And I felt mm -hmm. less is more. And I preferred to have a more sort of preacher at the pulpit, large bellowing claims or, or imagery that could go with things on the tongueless. But uh, yeah, when it comes to apes, that's that speaks for itself. We are a glorified monkey on a spinning rock. When it comes to snakes, they are always in my life. I love herpetology. I've, I love the imagery of, of what has happened. The fact that people are so feared or revered, it depends like where you go in which part of the world of what people think of snakes. And also, yeah, things like your beasts of burden, everything from Animal Farm to, um, uh, you know, Farthing Wood to all this sort of stuff. There's all different ways that people have uh, anthropomorphized these creatures that have been with us since the very beginning. So we domesticated animals long before we did anything else. So that uh, it's always a good way for you to inject some socio-political meanings. So were you kind of stoked when you looked at the first albums? Like, oh, this guy does animal things. I want to do animal things. Great. I could just kind of pull this through line through. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't a, a selling point for me. The, 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 the like it wasn't me just going, oh, I can play old McDonald too. Yeah. Yeah. It, 
it was me more just being quite impressed with the professionalism of the band. So I'd seen them playing around the the scene for a couple of years on their first two releases. And I was uh, blown away by that the fact that an Australian band was taking itself that seriously and delivering on each release. So the way that I do things, although I like to joke around in life, it's my like defense mechanism for a lot of stuff that I can't control. Uh, when I am writing, I like to be as professional as possible. So I won't drink before I play. I, I, I always have got a handle on that sort of stuff. And I want to always make sure that what I am writing down, there's no money in this shit. So it's like, <laughs> I want to make sure that at least the song is genuine to me and, and perhaps my peers might take it with them somewhere. Well, you know, as you alluded to earlier, a lot of the references to animals in your lyrics do appear specifically in the context of animal exploitation or extinction. Uh, so, for example, you know, Tongueless that you just mentioned um, does talk about captive orcas, dogs tortured, uh, and megafauna, which refers to animals that have uh, either been harmed or been made extinct, uh, largely by human intervention. Uh, and the theme of extinction is then immediately taken up on the first song of uh, Vestigial uh, in Hall of Extinct Animals. However, the rest of the album seems to move away from extinction and instead animals are represented as characters or social types. Uh, so, for example, there's uh, a Judas steer, locust Christ, Judas goat, and heaven's sheep. Um, then on your most recent album, Gleaners, um, there appears to be uh, use of animals as metaphors for human oppression and exploitation at the hand of other humans, described as ruling vermin, parasites, and rat kings, uh, which sees kind of thematic connection um, with both your free previous kind of two albums that you've worked on. So looking at these references collectively, um, we can see that the through line is comparison between human and animals, as in, you know, megafauna, we are referred to as livestock, uh, the last heard uh, into the crush uh, and told that after man, uh, this sphere will cripple on. Uh, Vestigial then further speaks to we bowerbirds uh, who use death to line our nests. And finally, Gleaners describes a rat king who is human nature inflated. So what's the purpose of exploring this relationship and comparison between human and animals um, and, you know, this kind of connection to uh, exploitation and extinction that you developed earlier? I think that, for me, I I like the the demystifying of the human being by by saying what we are, which is an animal. So, sure, we've got culture and stuff, but so do termites and ants. So, I I know that's paraphrasing a whole bunch of civilization down into a tiny couple of millimeters, but I prefer to see some humility in the fact that and be humble about our existence. And the fact that we are nothing that special and we only have one place that we are living and we're shitting all over it every day. And I find it really awful that people take solace in escaping into too much technology when really they've all just got to look outside and there's enough magic going on and enough horror and enough uh, birth and rebirth doing just in the natural goings on of this planet and then if we just if we disappeared tomorrow you can guarantee that the rock keeps spinning and things keep evolving i like the fact that everything's in flux and that nature always is there doing its best to either get rid of us or we can work with it um the whole rat king stuff um and bower birds butcher birds these things they just i love the imagery of of how brutal and unforgiving nature can be and we we ourselves do a lot of cruel monstrous acts for every 
for every saint there is there is a monster as well so even in my life i i have regrettably done monstrous things and i've also done very saintly things so you can't exist as 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 a pure thing of good or evil i don't think that's really how it works but i would like to think that going forward we we actually understand that we're a part of the environment and not something that is ruler supreme over it or thinking that we're these like these farmers that can just endlessly pluck from a feast that's going to keep going. Because the way I see it, it's a banquet that's already souring on the table. Then we really need to check ourselves. So this idea of animals kind of as metaphors links to uh, the idea that, of course, animals have often worked in that sort of way in uh, folklore mythology. And you do mention at least one folk kind of creature spirit in your lyrics, which is uh, the Wetico, a Native American uh, cannibalistic spirit driven by greed, excess, and kind of selfish consumption. Yep. Does this connection between animals and folklore influence your own use of animal imagery? Like, do you see yourself using animals and lyrics in a way that's reminiscent of their use in folklore, or do you perhaps approach it from a, a different way? Oh, I, I'd, I, I love it as a historian, as a person that is, enjoys mythology and enjoys folklore and, and oral histories. I think stories are the best currency that a person can have. Like, I'd much prefer to hear someone describe something through story than any other means. I don't want to look through a phone or, or <laughs> something like that. I'd rather you just act it out and tell me what's going on. Uh, with the Weteko, the Wendigo sort of stuff, I love the imagery of the unsatiable, the sorry, the insatiable cannibal, which is what colonialism is. And this is that so alien was the idea that someone could hoard wealth that could consume more than needed. And that's not just from uh, Native Americans. We're talking about um, Indigenous Australians, Papua New Guineans, all this stuff. When white people or the locusts arrive. This is this is their impression. It is these these people are monsters. They they stop. They need they don't know how to quench their thirst. They just keep drinking. So with that idea, it still rings true today, even if it's in in a much more modern sense. I and I I quite like reiterating that through the album. Hmm. I think along similar lines, there's the metaphor of um, a worm that appears quite commonly as well. So often a white worm specifically that appears, I think, 10 times on your newest record, yep. um, doing all of the other animal references uh, and indeed, you know, more than any animal reference that we've seen on any record of yours so far. So, you know, is this idea of the white worm connected to what you've just been discussing regarding, you know, particularly like, uh, you know, the effects of like colonialism um, and white exploitation? Um, or is this kind of a, a new theme that you're exploring in a different way? I've mentioned worms of most things in, in all the releases I've done with Lowe. And it is partly like a subconscious nod to Roger Waters' uh, The Wall and The Final Cut back from the late 70s and early 80s. I loved the fact that that was brought up as that describing a certain kind of personality or a certain kind of behaviour that was detestable. And white worms were actually from a biblical reference, which is what they would term back then in Hebrew would be maggots. So this was seen as something that was showed the like the negative effects of being a glutton or from uh, overconsumption or decay so when i hear that i think of of us when we're we're a consumerist uh, culture that we are like white worms we are maggots consuming far beyond our needs 
And me reiterating that just means just how much we are degrading and decaying through this behavior. Do you think consciously or unconsciously you select animals for metaphors that feel a bit quote unquote metal? Like you mentioned serpents, vultures, wolves, snakes, and vermin, uh, but more kind animals like deer uh, would only appear kind of bleeding out or dying. And you lack reference to say cute animals or animals symbolic of peace and joy, like butterflies, doves, puppies. Mm -hmm. uh, how much constraint does extreme metal as a genre place on the types of animals that you uh, are able to discuss in your lyrics? Oh, I could go. Oh, look, I could write a I could write a death metal opera about a mantis shrimp if you want me to. But yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> like, I, I guess if I if I can push yeah. buttons a bit, we we, yeah, have, yeah. we hear this like, yeah, the ladybird. Well, we hear this I could right. We hear this I could all the time on the podcast. Yeah, no, I could write a song about cute things, but no one does. Yeah. No, no. Look, so, I, yeah, I am. I am. Uh, like I said, I'm a bit elitist with certain things, and I. I do enjoy the aesthetic of those kind of animals. I've always been drawn to the overlooked the and the ugly and the grotesque, but I don't find them that. So I'm, I'm obsessed with things like axolotls and tarantulas, false scorpions, uh, really ugly pit vipers, that vultures, like lappet face vultures with their faces that look like, you know, a person's testicles really. And, but they all serve their purpose. They all have good connotations of, like it just depends what part of the world you're in. So death, death is always attributed to vultures, but then they're seen as a way of taking the dead to the next realm. If you look in places like Nepal, so and Tibet, so it's all what you want to do with it. I like, but I'm always drawn to the more reptilian, the more uh, sinister-looking animals. That's just me as an aesthetic thing, as a childhood thing. I, I really can't explain it more than the fact that I, I just really felt attracted to those sort of animals but just like it's a, a bit of a chicken in the egg thing oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah literally like it's, it's is it is it metal that's drawn you to like these kinds of animals or is it your enjoyment of those kinds of animals that's kind of indirectly drawn you to metal i don't know <laughs> i would definitely say the easiest way for me to communicate a genuine style of writing was through the realms and and descriptions of natural history and animal folklore i'm not going to sing about uh being a heroin addict because i've never done it it's not something uh, that is close to me and i would feel ingenuine talking about something like that uh but if we're talking about say folklore to do with the biblical history of maggots yeah then i've probably got a leg to stand on and i and i feel quite genuine in writing that and being able to be poignant in a socio-political uh, way but like just as like a thought experiment, if if you if you had like an album that just had like a, a ladybug on the cover, or like <laughs> you know, if 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 the words puppies appeared in your song in like a positive sense, do you think that would like would it would you feel any hesitation to explore that kind of imagery in the genre that you're working in? Besides like that you prefer the 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 quote unquote, you know, different style, darker animal? I guess the fact that I've like with the tongueless vestigial and the gleaners which is about to come out that's a, tr a triptych for me so i've i've created an arc of work that can be viewed as as three parts as three parts but also consumed as a whole so the fact that they they were hinted in the first uh in the tongueless and then they they have the main arena in vestigial and now they're still getting their dues and being accountable in the gleaners i'd like to stick to the you know mm -hmm. the four or five core creatures that i've got um mm -hmm. 
for something like puppies and all that kind of business. I don't know, because I, I don't particularly enjoy cats and dogs. It's very, <laughs> very banal. I, I, I quite like this is going to probably get up people's uh, goats a bit, but I find that people that make their personality their dog or their cat, it becomes this sort of this hole that they're filling. And I feel it does a, a, a disservice to the, what the animal is. I feel like it's a caricature of what nature intended. And they come with so much riddled problems of inbreeding and chasing an aesthetic. And it's, it's at the suffering of the animal. And I, I don't, I don't really like this whole puppers and zoomies and, and, <laughs> fur babies talk uh, i find that mm-hmm. weird and, and corrupt it's it's nature corrupted to me um mm. so i'm probably never going to in a favorably light or in interest put puppies or cats into my songs so the the metal genre itself though you feel that doesn't place any restrictions on on the animals you can talk about nah, you're a human being you're limited by your imagination mm. um, like there's plenty of there's like you can be a buffoon and do that if you want. And as long as you've done it, like if you, as long as you've done it with genuineness and, and <laughs> fiction, then I'm not going to say that's, that's the wrong thing to do. There's plenty of funny joke stuff done by like Def Clock and, and um, Devin Townsend that I think is, is they're awesome party bangers, but it's not how I write. I, I'm, I'm not able to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, not with that level of skill either. So, mm. yeah, well, this is actually something that's come up as well. Like, whenever we've kind of made the suggestion, um, you know, or like use the kind of thought experiment of like, you know, including cute animals or mm-hmm. cute themes, is that people have often said, like, it, they can imagine it appearing, but in a comical context, not so much in a really sincere or genuine yeah. context within metal. So, yeah. yeah, I wonder if there's something to that as yeah. well, that it's less likely to be explored within like a genuine, like in a genuine way. Yeah, mm. I, I already I, I, every day just to amuse myself in this mixed up world, I'll make up funny little jingles about. <laughs> I'll, I'll make up a song about an avocado holder. I'll make up a song about seeing a nativity scene in the front of a religious shop. <laughs> For some reason, it had a velociraptor and a small panda in amongst the nativity. So mm-hmm. he just made up a song about that. But do I want to drag my bandmates into a studio and pay thousands of dollars to get it recorded? Nah, I'll be all right. <laughs> I'll stick with what I know for now. I mean, Fair do enough. you think that metal has to have kind of like, if there's maybe a, a, a trait outside of the, you know, bands that are kind of having a bit of humor, um, there has to be like a bit of seriousness to the whole product? Hmm. The art form? I think, yeah, that when you, I just say, would say conviction. That conviction? doesn't, that doesn't have to be seriousness. Mm-hmm. I, like I'm, I'm more about, I want to, the, the work to stand beyond what, what we've done, you know, mm. I, I would like the words and the music to stand alone and be taken as a piece of art. And I like the fact that these last three, these last three records we've done, they do bleed into each other. They they can be viewed outside of the constraints of of a, of of a timeline. Like you can just have the whole thing run for two hours or so, and be able to 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 grab the whole story. Um, yeah, conviction, conviction. I like. I don't know why someone would want to do like in Australia. We seem to have this horrific thing that like. Uh, when people will take down people by saying that uh, you're a tryhard, 
Mm. and or a tall poppy syndrome sort of scenario and trying hard is what you should be doing you should be doing your, your fucking best like i don't know why you would <laughs> to get up there and go yeah oh, we're just gonna give it a shot like no no don't waste our time like life's short you'd want to make sure that what you're expressing is is important to you and even if it is a joke to you like it's comical well, give it some style, give it some class and make sure that it's delivered well. Because if a punchline sucks, well, then you suck. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I suppose tying into the animal theme um, that we've just kind of discussed um, at length, um, our lyrics have explicitly, uh, yeah, you've got quite a lot of lyrics that explicitly address kind of failings of Western culture and society that you've already kind of started to um, explore a little bit. So specifically, we're thinking of like lyrics from uh, vestigial that include um, Ill Lust of the West, Praise Our Western Bliss, Raise Our Glutton Kids. Uh, and your new release, Glenis, has lines like Caucasian, Vulture, Monocultural, and the Vicious Vanity of Colonizers, which could, you know, quite clearly apply to Western cultural contexts. Mm-hmm. Is I wondered, and this isn't like a gotcha question at all, but is there any sense of irony in addressing the ills of Western culture within a scene that's long been dominated by Western white men? Um, and have you experienced any backlash for doing this? Well, it hasn't come out yet, but we'll see, <laughs> won't we? Um, <laughs> yeah, so by the time you listen to this, it has come out. And if I've been uh, lynched by then, well, then that's my fault. But I would say that the uh, the irony is intended. Yes, um, the, the the finger is pointed at everybody in the room, including myself. So I'm well aware that I'm not Denzel Washington. So we have to. Uh, the way I see it, the way that I've painted these characters, I do it from an expressive point of view. I that's my artistic license. And also I have my own self-loathing issues to do with what I am a part of in this story. Mm-hmm. So I, I love nature and yet I am a stranger on this, on this soil and everywhere that you do go, we are under the amassed bones of fallen cultures and individuals and through certain things that how you live your life and your creature comforts, you are hurting the, the very, place that gives you life so yeah it's not a meaning lost on me and i hope it's not lost on the audience either has there been backlash on your prior albums for um you know these kind of themes no no um like i said i'm very it's very refreshing to be asked at length about meanings and themes in our music mm-hmm. from a lyrical point of view it often gets uh, wishy washed over uh but yeah it is nice when some people notice and want to have a conversation further about it uh i think i think there's a, a good deal of room that can be done about uh, lyrical content in in all these metal genres and you can touch upon things like xenophobia and racism and and environmental collapse so you, I'm, I'm really enjoying seeing bands like napalm death and cattle decapitation uh, really striving ahead with what's going on in the world at the moment and doing it in such a, a really over-the-top expressive rock opera kind of way mm. Is there any like additional kind of value, um, I suppose, in addressing these kinds of issues to an audience, as you said, who are have been historically like the people that have perpetuated, if not committed, the ills that you're talking about? Sorry, 
I, I understand that we are in the audience and we have been a part of this well this this account of history yeah sure um what did you want to know about that what did you sorry i'm just wondering like you know is there like you know if you were to is there any additional value in kind of talking about these issues to an audience that like you know has historically kind of participated in like um those issues um in a way that you know wouldn't necessarily be um the case if you were kind of discussing these issues with an audience that has kind of been on the receiving end of them or has intimate knowledge of them yeah, look, I just want to make sure that uh, the way that this inescapable sort of narrative has happened, I'd like people to avoid apathy, which is something Australia seems to be very good at. And it's towards both our First Nations people and also towards our environment. And sometimes even just to anyone that's a bit different within your own group. And I would really like that this this is seen as both an artistic statement and something that can be poignant and taken further. I mean, there's that, that famous quote, right. Of, uh, you know, you can't tear down the master's house with his tools or something like that, but it seems like in your perspective, you are sort of using a genre that has had, you know, it's problematic history a bit to critique the very kind of culture it arose from. Um, Is that, I guess like, like this isn't a question. Damn um <laughs> it's okay i mean ha- yeah i guess i guess how would you find this like is there is there a benefit in using the the art form of the colonizer in a way to to point at the colonizer that wouldn't be pot like does that create a space for that dialogue to happen that you know might not be as effective elsewhere i suppose there was a cool quote i heard the other day and it was saying that art art is just the more palatable politic <laughs> okay and i feel that yeah i like if you feel that you should be delving further into your own research then mm. go ahead please do uh please like pour over keywords and 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 ask people like i i like the platform about it i like the fact that there is room for different interpretations and i i would prefer it to stand as a piece of music that has its roots in other things and that if people would like to be able to find that and discover that for themselves and what that means to their their own experience, then that's better than just banging your head. Hmm. So speaking of pouring over things, uh, one of the things we did uh, in pouring over uh, sort of the the – uh, lyrics you've written is look at your use of uh, pronouns because in general it seems that you uh, have a preference for the first person plural form we over the singular mm-hmm. as you have um, seven to 20 instances of I me and my across your three albums depending on the album but mm-hmm. 17 to 51 instances of we are and us across the albums yep. uh, with the difference in the instances of I and we forms increasing with each release so uh, you have the gap is widening um, is this a pattern that you're aware of? And if so, is there a reason w- for which you prefer the plural perspective over the singular? To be fair, I've, I feel that the arch of the story from where I started when I joined Low to now and across those, those three releases, I feel that although I like to paint 
poignant observations of rather bleak scenarios and environments and issues, I started realising that I do need to have a glimmer of hope <laughs> at some point. And by including the, the the collective rather than the single person view, we are all on this sinking ship together. And I like the fact that in the Gleaners, things begin to start being uh, held accountable and that there is glimmers of hope and there is a calls to arm, that there is a calls to action and a bit of a war cry involved. I would say I have had a few moments over the last couple of years between releases where you you do experience some extreme hardships and see the world through a different lens and it's sort of shaped a more, I guess, chill uh, chill in, uh, reaction towards impending doom and being able to get some solace out of things and gather muster up some strength to keep going. But knowing that even though things are rough, that's that whole cheesy line of it's the darkest before the dawn. So I'd like to be able to have people feel that there is there is uh, power to what's being said and the chance to make amends. Well, then when you do sing about like from the eye perspective, do you think you're, do you feel that you're representing your own perspective or that of like someone else, a character or like a more kind of generic type? It becomes a, a mixture. It's a, like a multi-personality thing. So my performance is a performance of personality. I'm like, I, I feel that even though these are monsters that I am painting of, of things that exist, there are facets of my personality that I can attribute to that. And that you can, you can embody those pre that mad preacher at the pulpit for a moment there in a song. And you can be the vulnerable fawn as well in that song. And it, unfortunately, I can't separate me completely from what I'm writing. I, I like to be able to illustrate these crazy characters, but there is truth that they're probably living within me as well. What about the use of um, second person perspective forms? Because you have um, six instances of you or you on the first album, 18 on the second and 24 on the third. And in many instances, it seems like there's some sort of opposition between the I, we, and the you, uh, as in lines like, colonizer's confidence, I was born to drain you, your through, I silenced your scholars, while spewing quotes of affirmation off gleaners, which show a very direct contrast between kind of the I and you. And this seems part of a larger distinction you develop, particularly in your latest album between kind of two people and groups, an oppressor and an oppressed. Yeah. Uh, are we reading this right? Was it your intention? And if so, yes. do you have yeah. a particular... Oh, good. Great. Hang on the money. Yeah. Given that so we have imagine... done our job. Yay. Uh, yeah. I imagine a kind of a, a fishbowl uh, lens where you are hearing from the person in the, in the you know, in the front row of the of the congregation being spewed at with these with these false promises but then you've also got the inner dialogue of the priest or the deacon at the top yelling out these lies and what he's thinking i'm going smooth through my yellow teeth you can hear my my you know my false lies and then it's people outside witnessing all of this happening and then myself as even another narration at 
outside of this viewing inwards. So I do I do switch between and I I usually that will be accompanied with the fact that my phrasing has stilted out or my my entire like rasp has changed to another another tool in my vocal and my vocal technique. So you can be both um a protagonist and a antagonist depending on the the location. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So one question I I, I kind of like to I found interesting. It's something I've been thinking about. It was we've talked more and more about you with people. Is what happens when you're live and like you're looking at your audience and like you look some fan in the eye and you're at a point where it's like you, bad, right? Does that like is that hard? Does it create like a, uh, you know, a glimmer of oh, I just called out this kid for being you know the source of evil on the planet? Yeah, right. Um, look. When I when I'm up there, it's muscle memory and and it's all about delivering a genuine show to the lyrics that I put all that time and effort into. Uh, I'm thinking things as a large just screen, basically, hmm. not seeing individual faces. I see the mass, and I deliberately work to that. So it becomes this sort of large organic. I guess, yeah, big soup of faces rather than just one person. I'm not, I'm not attributing uh, personal judgment on the person in the front row or the person in the wings. I'm not, I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking hitting that note. Again, shit, you know, I really could have, <laughs> really could have used to stretch my knee before I did this, like that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going too much uh, detail about an individual's uh, predicaments in front of me. Hmm. Um, well, looking at other patterns in your lyrics, um, something that we uh, noticed as well um, was looking at uh, kind of the presence of some, but not a huge amount of swearing. Um, so in your uh, 2015 EP, you could just got one use of shit. Uh, yep. 2017's procedural has uh, so six swear words in total, so one fuck, one shit, and four instances of damn. Mm -hmm. uh, and the newest just has one shit. Uh, so broadly speaking, um, what's the goal of including swear words in your lyrics? Um, is there a particular reason why you've chosen uh, to kind of use them quite sparingly? Usually when I'm saying it, it's the bravado of the character having a very sort of in the moment ego trip usually, or it's just to, as I, like I said, I like to diminish the mystique of a human being basically. So <laughs> I don't hold us very lofty. I prefer to think of all of us as flesh and blood of us shitting ourselves when we're babies, shitting ourselves before we die. So that kind of breaking down of, of that uh, is why that I would interject words like that to give it that very just rough grit, blunt delivery. Is there a balance though? Like, is, can there be too much swearing in, in a metal song? Have you ever cut swear words during editing because you felt you've kind of gone too far? No, because I, I feel that I've never, I've never had to rely on that. I'd rather use a different word if I can. And the only reason that I would use it in the first place is purely just out of that, just that grunt, that visceral, that visceral rasp that can go with delivering that. Sometimes it can completely change the context of what you're saying. It can either really bring the aggression home or it can deflate things to just a very ending note. 
I mean, metal's always kind of been a bit of a, a, a sweary genre, right? With kind of that counterculture, um, I'm going to do things that upset the mainstream kind of image to it. Yeah. Uh, is there, is, is it odd at all to kind of bring like, oh, I don't want to swear too much in, into that kind of space? Like, are, or, or is it like, does it have a role that it plays in metal that it wouldn't work elsewhere? Or is that like just not even of interest uh, when you're, when you're working on what you do? Simply doesn't even come into my brain. Yep. But it's it's ironic that all this is happening because when I talk uh, day-to-day life, uh, when I'm with my friends or family, I unfortunately do swear quite a lot. Uh, and I feel that that is more to do with my background of where I grew up and and the friends that I kept around me. Uh, yeah, they're all, they all have mouths like sailors. So that happens and I do go into a sort of a, Eh, like a very uh, user-friendly vibe when I'm when I'm at work or when I'm talking on the phone. Do, mm. do you feel like there's effort um, to make your lyrics not sound like your day-to-day to keep a, a yes. wall between them? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. It's just, uh, that made me very excited hearing that. It's very <laughs> true. Um, yeah, so my day-to-day life is interesting, but uh, I do like to... Uh, to create something more than what is my day-to-day existence. I I like to paint with, yeah, where, where style is everything at, at your disposal. I, I don't want it to be uh, just a day-to-day diary entry. I do enjoy bands that do that, and mm. especially in the misanthropic sort of form of, of bands like, say, Robotosaurus and Lord Manus, I find that quite interesting. But I'm more jealous of the fact that they are able to do that in such a blunt, uh, a blunt, abrasive way. But that's just not how I, I do it. I, I come across in a more artsy-fartsy sort of way, and I'm, I'm more at home in an art gallery than I am at a tradies' union. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that does come across in some of your like word choice um, because you do have kind of a, a tendency to lean towards kind of larger or at least rare words. Um, yes. Not always. Um, there are kind of straightforward lines like um, our opaque plague, uh, we're here to bleach your hearts away, uh, pale barrettes on offer, uh, place that dark hand in the coffer. Um, so these do exist. Um, there are kind of like uh, lines like this where you have like a maximum of kind of two syllable words um, that are generally quite recognisable to the average English user. But there's, uh, you know, long been this sort of sprinkling of larger words um, that a listener may not necessarily be familiar with without kind of looking them up, um, you know, on uh, Google. Um, so to pick out, um, you know, some that have just appeared on some of your recent albums, we've got things like Sporadic Whims, A Psychopomp, um, Pareidolia, um, Kleptoparasite, uh, um, Vainglorious, Elysium Festooned with Rotten Meat, um, uh, mammonism uh, and of course gliners. Uh, so, what effect or role does this kind of vocabulary have in your art and the kind of messages that you're trying to create? Uh, and is this in any way a kind of metal way of representing dialogue? Yeah, I've, I think it's a, an acquired taste and a, an advanced palette for for your, your word eating. I, I prefer <laughs> I prefer to to offer something that is not just straight away in your face I, I would I like it to be really rich uh visceral uh, uh what is it tactile style um, words uh that everything's a everything's a descriptive word that that can be seen as a bit more decadent in the way that it's delivered uh 
it also really helps with those sort of words when you're doing a raspy vocal technique because it adds a bit of a to it each time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess, uh, uh, again, not, not to like poke and prod, but is, is a word like fuck not visceral and tactile? <laughs> I, yeah, I just, it's, I don't know. It, yeah. I just think it's not as romantic as as you as the foreplay of the other words, you know. Hmm. I, I I prefer to I prefer to lay it on lay it on with uh, some real thick uh, real thick goop of of meaning <laughs> than just punch you in the head. So yeah, I'm I'm very I'm very Mister Burnsy that way. I don't I'm not going to be able to win in a fight with just my fists so i'd prefer to be the weaselly one (laughs) (laughs) i guess just for another little thought experiment what if we flip this around like what if you use these terminology in your day-to-day and use your day-to-day in like in metal what would be the 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 effects of that like if you took these words and put them into your you know day interactions with family friends etc or then took the the more casual way that you speak and put it in the lyrics what Um, what kind of things would happen then <laughs> well unfortunately i do go in and out of that uh, mm-hmm. my bandmates uh, can get a bit confused with me sometimes because they they think i'm a bit cryptic in the way that i talk so everything i say is in a very sing-songy sort of way um it's almost like i am phrasing or singing sometimes when i when i do have conversations with people uh I would say that the only downside is maybe I start walking around with a cane with a (laughs) taxidermetry skull on top. I don't know. Um, And then wear winkle pickers to when I walk down the street. Uh, Sorry, sorry. Wait, what? what? (laughs) Cockroach creepers, you know, full Tom Waitsy shoes, mate. You know, winkle pickers? Like, yeah, Yeah. like goth shoes. Yeah. Oh, like, 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 which of the West kind of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, I, is that, I didn't, I did not, have not heard that. Turn a phrase yet? Yeah. So turn, turn a phrase, mate. It's the sport of princes. You got to get amongst it. Uh, yeah, no. I'm still learning the local language. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, I just enjoy it, like f- for the crack, you know, just to have a good laugh and and to, yeah. Some things in life are very banal. So if you can add us a, a bit of a spicy word to it and pretend you're ye old English, well then that's ex- <laughs> that's going to pass the time in a more amusing fashion. And also the sauruses won't go out of business. So, yeah. Mm. Well, this is also like kind of an ongoing debate on the podcast. It's like whether or not it's okay to use the thesaurus. So are you pro- Okay. I've got one right next to me all the time. <laughs> yeah. I keep I, I keep a running journal in, both in just in notes in my phone and also uh, old school. I, I carry a little uh, diary around with me to fill out anything that I see that's going to inspire me. So things like news headlines, a conversation I've heard on a train, uh, uh, little monologues that I like in films or in TV series, and then in very, very dense nonfiction environmental dilemma books as well and, and natural history volumes. Yeah. I mean, there's a history of these kind of big words in metal, right? Do you like like the genre kind of welcomes this sort of obscure vocab in a way that others wouldn't? Like, yeah. say, say you were a, I don't know, a pop singer uh, or low as a pop band or like a, even a rap band or a folk band. Do you think you could use these same terms and get away with it? You could if it's done with a killer beat. With a killer really beat. Can. So I feel, I feel people really do sort of uh, scapegoat pop as not being very cerebral, but... Yeah, the kind of I don't know what that's that's true for a lot of consumable just flash in the pan pop. But then you've got people like yeah, Peter Gabriel and 
and um, like even stuff like Def Cab for Cutie and that. These are these are amazing lyricists. They're fantastic. Mm. It's just they're done with a very palatable, very catchy beat. But I mean, all things being equal, do you think that like um, metal sort of welcomes these, you know, like ooh, big words from the thesaurus kind of phrasing in a way that maybe other genres again not let's not say don't ever like it's not like you'll get arrested right but um (laughs) is there is there a tradition you feel like you're being part of or is that again not a concern at all uh i definitely think we're pretty inclusive as a subculture Mm -hmm. uh all you got to do is attend a live gig and you're going to see a very mixed uh thing of people from different walks of life the but when it comes to that nerdy factor um, I guess it's just down to the fact that for the, at least within the people that create metal, mm-hmm. most of the time it takes a hell of a lot of nerdy skill just to, be <laughs> able to play the stuff. Sure. So this is usually someone that's had to attend music college or go to university for long periods of time. They're around a lot of academics. They've already been into very imaginative things to be able to come up with their lyrics or the atmosphere of what they're trying to portray. They were nerds from day one. It, it didn't just happen because they decided to write, write metal. That was well before that. Yeah. And the, the outcast thing, it's that that was maybe a thing growing up, but I found that these days that was when back then it was because your social way that you signified that you were part of something was that you'd wear your heart on your sleeve. So you your merch, your your backpack or whatever, that is you displaying that you are part of a subculture and that I am hoping to be exposed or acknowledged by that subculture. But then when you look at things like Instagram and that, like you just create that online. You just become this like supreme pizza of every single thing you like. No one <laughs> needs to go and, and discover that for themselves because they already know about it. Mm. And people, it's no longer I am an individual, I'm an individual by, you know, ironically being like everyone else it, it just becomes this this little taste test of every single other thing that people do I, I feel like the individualness of collecting and and being proud of what you are is that is sort of dying hmm. Hmm. well yeah going back to uh kind of like patterns in, in the lyrics and stuff like although we have certainly talked about like how you do prefer seemingly like longer um more um eloquent expression um you do still have this kind of preference for shorter phrasing at least that's how it appears in the lyrics so you've got long words but like in um shorter phrases uh so like each line of your lyrics consists on average of only about like 5.7 words uh so with lines off the tongue list coming in closer to five and the green is kind of close to 6.5 uh but there's a lot of lines that consist of only two words uh even within both of those examples so like uh, lines like self-made self-loathed, cruelty personified, we nullify inside, and mammon's horn, holy grail. Um, Are these patterns intentional at all? Like, are you trying to balance out more kind of uncommon longer words with shorter lines? No, it's it's to do with fitting in with the riff, to be honest. It's it's, That is, you've got to remember, like, the way we've been, (laughs) I know that the, the podcast is focused on lyrics and why you're writing them, but let's just make sure that, yeah, I am... I have to work in the environment that I'm being given. So Carl sends me these amazing cinematic uh, riffs and I need to be able to exist in that world. So I'm always wanting, I think that sure, I put a lot of emphasis on what I'm saying and I like to use elegant or very expansive words and stuff to describe what's going on, but I want the music to be hitting just as hard and there's sometimes it's less is more. I really feel that 
you got to be able to let the riff breathe in, in a genre like ours. Mm-hmm. So if there's a solo coming up, if there's just that lick that's so good with the drums, I give it room. I don't need to be grandstanding over that top at all. Otherwise, you end up like every time I die and you just see a gig where a guy is losing his breath for two hours straight, just going, you're like, mate, take a breath. I want to hear the rest of the band. So I'm very, very interested in tasteful use of words and having it complement the rhythm of what's going on with the groove. So it's it's kind of a consequence of um, sludge specifically? It's a consequence of anything that is that you want, like anything that's got that tempo of you're riding the wave of the riff. Like you'll notice that bands like rock bands like Queens of the Stone Age, prime example, he he uses it in a way that his phrasing flows in with it, but it's never it's never at odds with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. As Matt Hyde said, obey the riff. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. But then the, you, you notice some bands, though, it becomes more apparent later in their career purely because the hip's going out. So it's like the drum starts slowing down, the arthritis kicks in, and it's just more pleasurable to give more space to the music. Mm. So going back to something that you kind of mentioned at the very start of this interview before I even start asking you specific questions, uh, you said that you really like kind of poetic um and like literary sort of themes and we did actually notice a few of those uh, one is that your lyrics often include rhyming uh like praise our western bliss raise our glutton kids kept in fears paralysis scapegoats and witch lists are veg- uh, vestigial uh and hellacious lights blistering heat elysium festooned with rotting meat off gleaners uh what do you feel about uh what do you feel that rhyme adds to the overall kind of impact of your lyrics and what would you lose if the rhyme wasn't there I feel that in the past, a lot of things that come with rhymes come with a moral warning, and it's the easiest way during mm-hmm. oral histories when you couldn't write or you couldn't get a hold of stuff to write, that you did it in a sing-song way, and it always stayed more embedded in the human mind. So I'm very interested in having the impact land on a rhyming a rhyming phrase. Huh. So because of like the message, like because you're trying to convey a message, it links back to the history of, I guess, message conveyance in, in yeah. English. Oh, okay. Same as ringing around the rosy, a pocket full of posies, all that about the Black Plague, mate. No one forgets that rhyme. So I love the fact that something is wrapped in a slight innocence or a bit quirkiness huh. of like a nice little psalm, like, like I'm not a Christian um, person by any means, but I went to a Catholic high school and a Catholic primary school, and I can still recite to you every psalm that we were taught. And that's just embedded because of the sing-song nature of what is being portrayed. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. It's just like, yeah, that's just, just we, we ask about rhyme a lot, and that's, um, I don't think we've had an answer like that before, so... <laughs> Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, sorry, Jess, go ahead. <laughs> no, not quite like that, yeah. <laughs> well, I was just wondering, is, like, is the explanation then the same then for um, other uh, forms of wordplay like alliteration? Because you, you have certainly a lot of that, um, particularly off your um, latest release, um, as in, you know, Sour Stewardship, um, Put the Poor to Powder, um, Vainglorious Vipers, Pale Pontiff, um, Culture for the Cannibal, Last Hour Clarity, Children of Consumption, uh, and even kind of complex pairs like Hale, Pseudoscience, um, Pure um, Hypocrisy, 
is it the same kind of idea of using the alliteration to more easily convey a message? Definitely. It, 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 it rolls off the tongue better for me in my mind when I hear it. And I prefer that sort of descriptiveness that is very, like it's it comes in waves towards the listener. Mm. And I've always grown up loving uh, musical theatre and and theatrics and and I really enjoyed my time doing drama in high school. So when it comes to these monologues, this old school uh, vaudeville style, I really enjoy the way that they used words to drum in certain meanings or certain key plot changes. Huh. Okay. No, that's interesting. <laughs> it's, it's, well, it is. It's just very interesting. It's just um, I don't think we've talked to somebody that that considers uh, drumming in a message, like how to best drum in a message. Mm. I think we've talked the, about it in the context of choruses or repeated yeah. like refrains, but less so in the context of like using wordplay and rhyming for that purpose. Yeah, yeah. Like we we've talked to people with messages that they want to convey and like how to best phrase it. Definitely in choruses, like they repeat mm. this. Yep. But I don't think we've had someone say like rhyme and alliteration are used to be catchy in a way that makes it kind of stick into your head. Yeah. Uh, and like it makes sense perfectly. It's just I, I, yeah. I just wasn't expecting it. So it kind of puts me at a loss of uh, doing my job and asking. <laughs> oh, that's all right. It. See, I don't I don't keep like I said, I keep a diary running of lyrical uh, things that I'd like to touch on in, in future releases or, or come back to. But I don't keep a diary of my day. I've never been able to. Uh, I don't know how I'd go about that because to me it's so banal, mm. like writing in a usual event by event happening. I'm I'm unable to do it properly, or I don't I don't do it with conviction. It's almost like I feel like I've got to, I've got to add something to it. I've got to get, give it a bit of highfalutin for it to be able to be interesting to me. So lyrics is that perfect thing of you're able to uh, really zhuzh up what you what you want to convey. Um, uh, yeah, I, I find it very, I don't know. It's, it's weird that someone, I'm, I'm stoked, I'm stoked that you're, that you were taken aback by that, but at the same time now it's making me feel a bit, uh, like inward on my own. On the no, world. no, 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 no. Like maybe I'm writing, like maybe when I write my shopping list, it's coming out like a, <laughs> like a French poet. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, like the goal is not to be, there's no value judgment here. It's not like it's good or bad. It's just, it's just, yeah. um, you know, we, we've had people mention like the impact of rhyme and lyrics they've liked. We've had people talk okay. about alliteration, like uh, even, even matching the beat, but like this kind of, this will get it, this will get the message stuck in the brain is, is just kind of uh, new, especially given, you know, we mentioned that a lot of metal bands kind of like to hide, like the idea that they even have a message right oh um, okay or at least yeah. mm. not not even if it's not completely like put it under the rug a little bit right yeah um, the idea, yeah the idea of like getting a message not the lyrics not the not the theme not the melody but the actual like message kind of hooked in the brain is um yeah i think i feel i feel a little bit new in in the data we've had okay yeah, yeah so that's not like that's not like and now you need to be yeah. careful about your shopping yeah. like there's no implication <laughs> of that yeah yeah okay no yeah. Uh, just like from a, it, it's always interesting when we have um, something we haven't heard before because we, you know, we, we've talked to a few people so yeah and then the edit comes back and it's just you two going that was the ramblings of a madman <laughs> 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 no, oh, yeah. 
we had Party Cannon basically tell us that our entire premise for the podcast is wrong. So if we can do that, we oh, can have okay. a, yeah, yeah. Right. in nicer yeah. words than that. But that's how I came around feeling after it. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, moving on from there, um, another thing that we um, noticed that's um, interesting is like looking at your lyrics, like from like a, just a written perspective, is that you include a lot of punctuation in your uh, the written form of your lyrics. Uh, so question marks, you know, obviously pretty self-explanatory if you're you know, writing questions, um, but you do also include, um, you know, uh, marks that indicate reported speech. So, you know, quotation marks uh, like inject us with fear that appears in quotation marks, hand me a gun, which appears in quotation marks um, that appear to be like lines spoken by um, the worms, if we're not mistaken. Um, yep. And yep. you also include a number of exclamation points as well, uh, like the, green, the Gleaner's Rain Begins, exclamation point, and Mammon's Horn, exclamation point, um, off your latest release. Um, so do you consider the written form to create them? Uh, is, is this like a kind of a standalone document that you create that exists, you know, in parallel to um, the lyrics as you produce them when you're performing on stage? Definitely when I'm performing, I'm I'm selling the song as much as I can in the way that I intended it to be heard, for sure. So when I am, I'm always like pontificating what is happening. So in that in the worms lament, when I am calling to arms the the gun culture epidemic of America, that is what I'm doing. I'm screaming out that I am that worm, that I, I am now armed and that I am mindless and dangerous. Why include like exclamation points, let's say, like in the written form of your lyrics when, you know, you're arguably screaming anyway? I guess because you, you're painting you're painting lots of different shades of the same colour. That's the way I would say. It's the fact that aggression is aggression is aggression is aggression. So it, there is different dials in that I'm doing of different characters. That's just more of a, of a point that I wanted to drive home at that particular moment. So does reading the lyrics provide a part of the picture that is not found in the audio portion of the art form? It would be just down to someone's hearing, I'd say. Like if they, like I, I always try and strive to have my stuff audible, audible and and uh, digestible in that way, even though I do have that rasp over the top of it and the abrasiveness. Uh, that comes with the territory. That is how my voice sounds when I'm doing these particular deliveries but i would i would like that my words aren't just bogged down and lost amongst everything else so one kind of thing we were curious about that is not present in any of your lyrics is uh any features of what we consider kind of australian english or australianisms uh you're obviously from australia uh there's been australianisms in this pot i just learned one uh a few minutes ago uh for shoes um why do you intentionally avoid kind of features of Australian English in uh, your lyrics? I think, well, it's interesting you say that, like, because the themes of mm -hmm. the Gleaners, uh, the album is basically my my attempt at ending this triptych with, sorry, triptych with an Australian an Australian dilemma of what both bushfires, colonialism, uh, the apathy that is towards our environment and, and people we deem a bit weaker or different. Uh, but I do give it that ability to take on a global context. Uh, when it comes to colloquialisms, I have, you're right. You're right that you've pointed that out. I do find some sort of cultural cringe 
in stuff like say the band Luca Brasi. They're a fantastic bunch of musicians, but when I do hear those lyrics and and the pronunciation, it, it kind of grates the back of my teeth. Uh, you can hear me talk, listeners, right now. I sound like a chainsaw revving up. And I've, yeah, my voice is very, like I'd, I sound from where I come from. Uh, but when I am in metal, I am inhuman to some degree. I, I am a bit more than what it is. I, I am this megalomaniacal creature. I am that worm. I am that fawn. I am that snake. And to me, in my head, that voice that, in, that voice that it would have is not someone that's uh, ordering fish and chips at Bondi. So <laughs> that is that is simple as it can be, I would say. Does this relate to the kind of uh, the thing we mentioned earlier about like the potential dis- the, the the art form is distant from the day to day? Exactly, exactly. Uh, if you want to have me for a job interview then my persona and the way that I deliver myself is going to be completely different to the way that I am delivering a line in the middle of a set. So uh, I do like to have a much more freer or more caricature of, of monstrous stuff when I'm doing music. It was really interesting to me that in the middle of that, you did mention that uh, you're kind of setting the album in Australia. Cause we did, we did see, you know, uh, lines like led by denialists, yep. uh, colonizers, confidence, and could easily relate to the Australian context, if not do. Um, yeah. And there are references to like Australian flora fauna, as in the previously mentioned presence of bowerbirds. So is there, despite obviously not linguistically in, in you know, the, the word selection, um, I guess you kind of answer this, but can we go into more detail about kind of locating the album yes. in yeah, Australia sure. itself in a way? I feel that, I feel that, Besides, like, there are bands like, say, Midnight Oil and even even pop stars like Gautier that have touched on socioeconomic and social socio-political problems and, and our environment under, under siege. But as far as, say, like a large concept album that's done in the heavy genre, like mm-hmm. in the sludge genre, I want ours to stand as a work in itself that is that can be seen as painting the picture of our little ecosystem of what Australia is going through. And I don't want it to have a set time and place, but I want it to be able to have those flavors that are important down here and then it be, uh, be able to be replicated elsewhere as well. So everyone knows what xenophobia is. Everyone knows what racism is. Everyone knows what extinction is looming. I just gave it my own lived experience of Australia amongst it. So does this then like lend itself more to like the authenticity um, that you were talking about earlier? So, you know, speaking from your own point of view experience versus that of someone, you know, whose experience is broadly different from your own? That's correct. Yes. I I don't think I'd feel right being the author to someone else's story. Hmm. Okay, cool. So... Sure. Yeah. Did you want me to elaborate through? No, no, it's good. It's good. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Okay. Um, just, just waiting for a potential follow-up. That never mind. Um, yeah. So things like, yeah, I guess uh, what I had written down during the week was the fact that uh, some of the albums that were going through my head leading up to this sort of stuff was uh, uh, Gallows Grey Britain that came out in 2009. And 
I found that a very poignant, uh, flawless album uh, that was showing the ugly truth of modern day UK and just mm-hmm. the visceral, violent nature of how he he showed warts and all what was going on in his life and what socio problems were going on in the country. It was done in such a way with so much theatrics and thought to it and samples. It really does like illustrate a really complex little world of all these totems of misery and, and, and uh, I guess bleakness, but then it does have this hopeful uh, note at the very, very last breath of the album. And that really inspired me that Australia is lacking an album such as that. Mm. So I used my own genre and my own words amongst Carl's riffs to be able to bring something like that to head. Hmm. Is it tricky at all using extreme metal to convey a message of hope? Um, I think, I think it's a, like, it's the battle still going. The battle is still going to find that. So I, like I said before, with emotional ability to communicate, I find that anger is the one that bubbles to the surface first. Pain and anger come first. And that is something that is there as a survival mechanism. And that has been there for a long time, unfortunately. And I'm able to paint with that palette quite quickly. When it Mm. comes to the idea of hope and uh, forgiveness and moving past that in in a reconciliative way, uh, that is a new one. And it is just... I think that it feels authentic to me to put that in this genre. And I'm, I'm, I don't know if that's a, a pattern that other people are trying to do in their releases, but it is a pretty ugly world out there. And sometimes you just want something that is a bit more hopeful and that is a nicer image to think of and something that does give you purpose. Hmm. Well, that leads nicely into our kind of concluding question, which is, you know, if you were to speak broadly, um, what would you say is the role of lyrics and language in uh, Lowe's music as a whole and perhaps in extreme metal as a wider genre? It gives a human a human soul to the music that is existing. It uh, Music speaks to us on different levels and it, and it resounds in us in a primal way and we feel it and we carry it with us. But words, they convey the more emotive side sometimes and and it also shows the message of where everyone's head was at, what is the message, what is important to you, what is the things that you're trying to illustrate. So I can understand why there is so much focus put on the human voice because it is something that is it, it endures, just like those nursery rhymes we were talking about, the oral histories that can that can live on through this stuff. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? The, the idea of um, a contemporary and, and very abrasive, in a way, genre participating in, in the tradition of the oral history, which is always, you know, presented with people calmly sitting around a campfire listening to the, the elders. I, I guess I, the, the mosh pit and the, the, the campfire yep. seem to have a bit of a different kind of, I don't know, uh, image to them, right, in a way. It's all like it's all very primal to me. It's hmm. uh, man, hmm. like man is obsessed with telling stories. We're obsessed with illustrating what 
we have experienced or what we imagine or, or reaching for something that is intangible to make it tangible, to be able to understand what is going on around us. So I find that music and oral histories and art, they endure far longer than someone's like, you know, um, like a court reading from a hundred years ago. And it, it's sure. hard. it hits hard and it's part of the fabric of, of the human condition and what we like about culture and society. I think without art, we'd be extremely bored and also very un, uninspired. And we would lose a lot of our empathy and a lot of our compassion very quickly if we didn't have an ability to create things. Well, according to you as well, we'd lose a lot of knowledge, right? Considering that you're yep. saying that, like, you know, art is the main medium that we've used to communicate ideas and information. Yep. Historically. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is this is a uh, one of the more sort of hopeful, um, positive takes on what metal can do. I think <laughs> that we've ended with, <laughs> like, you know, carrying on tradition, carrying on hope, carrying on messages, bringing community together. I mean, yeah, I, 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 mean, I vibe it's with it. It's becoming yeah. more common these days. Sure. I think it seems to be like, given our recent interviews, it seems like there is a kind of movement towards like the positive potential of metal. Yeah, I think definitely after the pandemic stuff, you see the pandemic showed some really horrific sides of human nature, but it also showed an overwhelming ability for people to care and for people to extend charity and mm. mercy to others. So I think it's a good step that to be able to have something that, that already a community that is binded with and that understands where our head's at, that we're able to communicate with a bit of emotional maturity such as that. Sick, yeah. So, well, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, as you mentioned, uh, by the time this drops, the album will be out for a little bit. You'll probably be mid-tour. Mm -hmm. um, what plans are after that? Where can people check out what you're doing? Where can people follow what comes next? Okay, so online you could catch us at lookandbehold.net. And then we've got all our film clips up there and uh, our tour dates and happenings and you can get all our merch. Uh, and then as far as as shows go, we do have a few little secret shows happening towards the end of this year in, our, in Australia. And uh, we're very lucky that we're on Pelagic Records in Berlin. So we will more than likely be hopping over the pond to spread the Gleaners virus across Europe. <laughs> Cool. Awesome. Wouldn't happen to be coming west side, would you? Or... Uh, Perth. Look, we've, we've played a couple yeah. of really fun nights at the Amplifier in the past. Uh, I do enjoy Perth. There's plenty of shinglebacks wandering around and the food's <laughs> always nice. Uh, we get some, you know, penile shrinkage going for a swim at Costco Beach. So <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, more than likely if it just becomes... It's just a thing where everyone in the in the band has their own lives. Uh, they are responsible parents, and it is getting the time uh, away to be able to bring some good quality shows to people. So it's less is more, but the quality is always high. Mm. Good eye. <laughs> Be glad to see you on the west, considering very few bands make the trip. It seems. Oh, yeah. I'm slowly learning. Yeah. <laughs> They've got to be like a halfway point on the Nullarbor. Just make another crowbar down there. Let's just come down to Sydney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You we'll crash my voice. You'll be doing a Sydney show, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So 
you probably would have, well, yeah, make sure you come to the, the Sydney show that's going to be happening in the past from the time this comes to air. Okay. <laughs> the future one. We could be future boys. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> There may be a picture. There may be a picture of me at your live show before the podcast comes out. It'll be very confusing. All oh, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gigception. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> well, thank you very much, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. It's been a wonderful uh, little bit of a chin wag and a, and a waffling on about uh, what we did know and what we now know. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much. Cool. Have a good night. Thanks, guys. Catch you later. Cool. Bye. Stay in touch. Peace. Thank you for listening to Lingua Italica. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders past and present. <laughs>